Aha, ha, ha, ha. Welcome to Pound the Rock. I am not Kawhi Leonard, but I am a fun guy. My name is Joseph Cacharo. I'm in the score studios with fellow co-host Joe Wolfon. What up? What up? I already told you what up. Bit of a gong show yesterday, but uh, we're still standing. Yeah, barely. Slightly worse for the wear, yeah. but um, an insane uh, championship parade in Toronto and yeah. um, one that probably could have been a little bit better managed. Yeah. Uh, but bottom line, I think almost 2 million people came out to uh, to celebrate a Raptors championship, and we were fortunate enough to be in attendance. Yeah, the parade was awesome for the most part in terms of a spectacle, uh, the sheer number of fans, the love and the passion among those fans. Like The Raptors, the players were genuinely stunned by the turnout. Obviously, as you mentioned, it wasn't that well managed. A lot of, a lot of people suffering from heat stroke and... Um, tragedy strikes the end with a shooting. Luckily, no one died. But we will talk about happier things on this podcast. We're going to get to the main reason for the podcast, which is the Anthony Davis trade. Other than that, the only other thing I have to add to from the parade is that Uncle Dennis, the famed Uncle Dennis, big fan of Raptors president Masai Ujiri. They were yucking it up the whole time. And then when the Raptors finally got to the final destination of the parade, they had the family and friends and VIP people of the team sitting just uh, in front of the stage and you know they're announcing like the coaches and executives and whatever and everyone's just respectfully applauding and then they announce and introduce Masai Ujiri and Uncle Dennis like gets out of his seat starts hooting and hollering and and kind of like acting like a hype man for Masai was really interesting to see I mean we've got Woj already this morning saying that Kawhi's focus might still be on LA and the Clippers but if I took nothing else from the parade yesterday outside of Raptors fans' passion, it's that Uncle Dennis is a big fan of Masai Ujiri. He also seemed to be joining in on the chance that Kyle Lowry started of five more years. So, I mean, we'll see if all that means anything or if everyone was just kind of caught up in the moment yesterday, which would be perfectly understandable, of course. Uh, we can't really say for sure whether it's going to change anything or not, but um, I guess you could say that it's one potentially positive indicator for the Raptors as they head into this uncertain offseason. Yes. Now, what is certain, well, I mean, it's actually not official yet until <laughs> July, but it's all but certain, is that Anthony Davis is going to be a Los Angeles Laker. And that, as I mentioned, is the main reason for us getting back in the studio early this week and recording this. So let's talk some brow. I mean, this is kind of... Feels like it's been in the works for a while, right? Uh, the Lakers obviously desperately pursuing Davis at the trade deadline. The Pelicans holding out for what they hoped would be a better offer, either from the Lakers or a different party or the Boston Celtics come the offseason. And it worked out pretty well for them. Like, I think you could say, I mean, I, th- there have sort of been different frameworks reported for what the Lakers offered at the deadline. But it seems like the Pelicans made out better than than they would have if they'd taken that deal back in February, which is kind of crazy considering that Davis is now in a contract year. And I know the Lakers maybe feel a little bit more confident than another team might in their ability to re-sign Davis just because of all the reporting that's been out there and how he's made it known that he want, wanted to be a Laker, that he's represented by Rich Paul. So... You know, maybe the risk factor there is lower for them, but it also seems like they were bidding against themselves here. And 
I understand their desperation. I think the Pelicans really understood their desperation as well, given just how disastrously last season went, given that their management and front office is pretty much in shambles right now, given that the clock is ticking on LeBron James's prime. All those factors, I, I think, just put them in a position where they had to do whatever it took to get Davis, and I think the Pelicans really took advantage. They extracted maximum value. I mean, when... When is the last time that we have seen, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, a transcendent talent, right? Uh, but when is the last time that we have seen a player, even a superstar player, going into the final year of their contract, bring back this kind of a return? Basically never. And that, I think that's interesting, too, is that the Lakers acted in a polar opposite manner of the way they have when stars like Davis have become available in the last couple of years. Because in the last couple of years, whether it was Paul George or Kawhi Leonard or whoever, you name it, the whole point of them not going all in was, well, we can just sign this guy as a free agent. And then we've seen what's happened. Paul George did not sign there as a free agent. Kawhi Leonard, apparently considering the Clippers, not the Lakers, if he goes to L.A. So they went from that to then Davis... Who the one guy that they probably almost could bank on signing next year? If you you know even if you just read the tea leaves from Rich Paul talking in public, as you mentioned, they didn't want to waste another year of LeBron's prime. They've learned their lesson with Paul George and Kawhi, and they said, "Screw it, we are going all in to get another superstar." And the price was exorbitant. It was insane, but at the same time, it wasn't insane because you know whether it was the Kawhi deal, even though the Raptors didn't give up nearly as much, but whoever you want to point to, like. We've got a large enough sample size, and the sample size is forever, that at the end of the day, if you got the superstar, you probably won the deal, no matter how much you had to gut your team, especially when gutting your team still leaves you with another superstar, right? Like, you're, you've are you joined two superstars, and yeah, you had to get rid of a lot of depth and, and future assets to do it, but you landed the star, and, and usually in the NBA, in terms of deals, that's all that matters, Especially when we're talking about a star that even though he is in a contract year, again, we can pretty much bank on him being back with LA and signing a long-term deal and this being their cornerstone really for the next half decade or maybe more. Yeah, I'll just say, I mean, you really never know. And, yeah. and I do think, you know, given all the, the circumstances that we've talked about and, and what Davis has said and who he's represented by, they are seemingly in a better position to re-sign him than any other team would have been, but you just never know. I mean, this thing could still go topsy-turvy. They could suffer injuries and miss the playoffs, and suddenly, you know, I mean, maybe LeBron just suffers the decline that we've all kind of been waiting on for the last few years, and and suddenly Davis is looking around being like, what? Uh, who exactly is on this team? I mean, what am I going to be looking at, you know, two, three years down the road? Do I want to commit the rest of my prime to a team that could ultimately wind up being a complete disaster. These things can change quickly. So right now they, they seem to be in good position. And obviously, you know, having LeBron and Anthony Davis on the same team is just potentially devastating. I mean, that is a, a killer one-two punch in terms of the cumulative talent, but also the fit, I think. Um, it's the best two-man combination of basketball, bar none. Yeah, yeah. I think that's... <laughs> That's a, a pretty fair case to make. I, I mean, I guess we have to see what, what LeBron looks like next season. And, you know, after having a summer off, which he hasn't really had for the last decade, he could come back looking pretty refreshed and, and basically ready to, to reestablish himself as the best player in basketball. 
I mean, he carried that mantle into last season and even at the start of the season was basically playing like it until he suffered that groin injury that just derailed everything for he him was and the Lakers. So. arguably the MVP when he went down on Christmas. Giannis, yeah. Harden, hadn't, Harden was starting his campaign in December. Uh-huh. Giannis was, was consistently excellent, but you could have made the case for LeBron. I Lakers think you were made fourth the ca- in the West, I believe. I think you could have made the case for LeBron as the best offensive player in the league. I don't know if I would have put him in the MVP conversation just because even before he got hurt, his defense was really, really poor. And I think that's one thing that we're just kind of going to have to see, right? Like Davis is an incredible defensive player, but you look like that, that Pelicans team last year was in like the bottom 10 in defensive efficiency. And that was with Drew Holiday on the team, you know, another elite defender, if the, the supporting defensive talent isn't there and if LeBron is not willing or capable at this point of giving maximum effort at that end of the floor, I don't know. The Lakers could still be pretty poor defensively. And, like, you look at, like, their, their front court, right? Like, it's, it's LeBron and it's Kuzma and Davis. I don't know, man. Like, between LeBron and Kuzma, like, the perimeter defense, I think, would give me a little bit of concern. Until, obviously, I think they have a lot of work to do to fill out this roster. I think they have six players under contract right now. And one of them, Jamario Jones, who I don't really know anything about. is That's, on a, that's not a real person. Is on Stop. a, is on a non-guaranteed deal. So who even knows? But aside from that, it's those three guys. Kuzma, LeBron, AD, uh, Isaac Bonga, Mo Wagner, who has been liking some problematic tweets. And and Jamario Jones, who again, again stop using it. that, that <laughs> no, guy does not exist. Possibly not a real person. So yeah, we really have no idea what this roster is even going to look like come opening day. What we do know is, if this trade goes through on July sixth, which is when the moratorium on transactions is lifted, and reportedly when the Pelicans want it to be done, right? Which they should, yeah, um, because basically they're in a position now where it is in their best interest for the Lakers to fail. They have all this Lakers draft capital. You know, they are hoping that this ends up being a Brooklyn Nets-Boston Celtics situation where things go south in a hurry. And it can be. It could. As you mentioned, if LeBron gets hurt, heck, if Anthony Davis gets hurt, if it's only one of those guys and not a lot of means to improve the roster, it could become disastrous for the Lakers and it will paralyze them for five or six years. Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing about this is, I'll I'll circle back to the Pelicans (laughs) in a second, but like, ultimately... If this doesn't result in, like, a finals appearance or a championship, like you're saying, I mean, you know, LeBron's prime could basically be over any time, right? Like, in the next couple of years, we could be talking about LeBron. If, if we're not talking about that already, right? Like, is he, is he still in his prime, would you say? I guess, like, it's hard to I, say he's otherwise. He's at the tail end of it. Yeah. I mean, I've been... You know me. Average twenty eight, eight and eight. Uh, last yeah, year. it's it's insane, right? His the tail end of his prime is the best year of most of some Hall of Famers' careers <laughs> yeah. for real. Yeah. But you know, I've been saying to you, I think I think he's got one year left in him of not one year left in him of like all star productivity. I think he'll be that for a while, right. but one year left in him of like f you. I've been taking names of everyone that's been doubting me the last year, and I think he's got one left in him, mm-hmm. and I think we'll see that. Yeah, I hope so. Um, but. Even so, like it's going to be difficult for them to fill out the roster around those two guys. And if they can't do it, and if this thing sort of maxes out with like a conference finals berth, I don't know, man. I mean, if we're might- going to be talking potentially a few years from now about how LeBron James crippled the Lakers. And it's not really... Wow. I'm just saying, it's not his fault, okay? But that's 
sort of the reality of signing a player like LeBron at the age of 34. Yeah. And there's no a player like LeBron. It's the reality of signing LeBron, like singularly right. LeBron. And that's, yeah, exactly. And, and you saw what happened to Cleveland, right? They made the finals four years in a row. I don't think they would trade that for anything. They would not trade that championship for anything. But you saw what became of that roster. Like at the, at the end of uh, those four years, they didn't really have a whole lot left because, you know, that's just sort of the urgency that you're thrust into when LeBron James is on your team and when the clock is ticking and he's at the tail end of his prime, you are forced to make moves like this where you gut your entire team and you mortgage your future in exchange for the opportunity to compete for a championship in the present day. That That is, you know, the choice that is basically, it's foisted upon you. Like, you don't really have a decision to make there. It's, uh, you know, I, I think the Lakers hope that they could thread that needle by signing free agents and keeping their young core intact. They weren't able to do that, and they felt the desperation, and ultimately this is the move they decided to make. Like, they, they gave up a whole awful lot to get this done. So going back to the Pelicans, like it's in their best interest for the Lakers to fail, which is why I think they probably will insist on this deal getting done on July 6th. And if it is, the Lakers basically, like, they don't have max cap space. They'll have about $23 million. And 27 if Davis agrees to waive his yeah. trade kicker, which, again, I mean, he is represented by Rich Paul, so yeah. maybe there you know, is, is some decision there that's made you know, with Paul and with LeBron and with the Lakers that it's in the best interest of the team and Davis in order to do that. But even then, I mean, $27 million, that's maybe not going to... Like, that might be enough to get you, like, Chris Middleton. Maybe that's even enough to get you Kemba Walker. But Jimmy Butler... I don't know, Kyrie, I don't know, Kawhi, definitely not. If it's enough to get you Kemba, I think it's enough then. Like, if that, if that gets you Kemba, then I think that's fine, you know? Yeah. If Kemba Walker's your third best player... No, I, and, and I think he'd be a great fit. I right. mean, the Lakers have no guards right yeah. now. They do not have a guard on the roster, so... Is that, is that Jamario fellow you mentioned not a guard? I don't know. Is he a real person? We haven't even figured that out yet. Um, now, if the trade gets done on July 30th, as the Lakers want, right. then they would have max space for players... In the, mean, in the meantime, yeah. For players that have played nine years or less, correct? Seven to nine. Right. They would like not, the 30% range. They yeah. would not have the max for, for a 10-year plus. plus. But it but doesn't it, like, matter in this Durant, free agency Durant class. would be that only guy, and, exactly. and they're not going to yeah. go after Durant. Yeah, so just to, to clarify, how like the, the way that it would work is if they were to make that draft pick, the number four guy, then sign that draft pick to like the rookie-scale contract... Then, in making that trade on the 30th, at which point the moratorium on trading a drafted player would have passed, then they're able to match salary, right? Right now, they're taking in more salary than they're sending out. And basically, they don't like, like that eats into the cap space that they currently have. So, if they hold off on making that deal until the 30th, they have max cap space to add a free agent in the meantime. And then when they make the trade on the 30th, it's just matching salaries and them being over the cap doesn't actually matter. I mean, I, I just, why, like, what incentive do the Pelicans have to do that unless they can somehow extract additional value in exchange for an agreement to wait until the 30th? Now that would be some big G energy from David Griffin. <laughs> well, I mean, given what the Lakers are giving up, I kind of felt like... 
why didn't you extract that concession in the first place? Like, you are giving up three first-round picks, one of which we know is number four overall, two of which are unprotected, plus swap yeah, rights it's in 2023. first-round picks when you consider the swap rights. Right, plus two second-round picks that you've made in the last three years. And, you know, what you would call, I guess, a middling prospect in Josh Hart, but a guy who's proven himself to be, I think, a capable role player. Like, that is a ton. And, you know, if, if it came out later that, you know, they gave up, they gave all this up, but they got the concession, right? Like, they, they got the Pelicans to agree to hold off until the 30th, so they knew for a fact that they would have that max cap space. That would make a little bit more sense than them potentially now having to go back to the Pelicans being like, hey, just, just wait, like, three extra weeks. Do you mind? It'll help us out a lot. Like, why would the Pelicans want to help them? They have no reason to. No, agreed. And I'll even take it one step further than what you were saying. I know you mentioned, you know, it's like kind of finals or bust for them. I rarely say championship or bust because we've talked about, you know, how hard it is and the amount of luck that you need in the bounces. No, this is championship or bust. Not necessarily this year, but in the life of LeBron James's contract. Right. You do not trade for Anthony Davis to pair with LeBron freaking James and gut your roster the way you did and not win a championship. Like, sorry, that's those are insane expectations, but such is life when you're the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And you've got no means to greatly improve your roster other than maybe one more max lottery slot this year. you got no draft picks. You will not have much by way of trade assets. This will be your team. The LeBron, Brow, and maybe one other guy. It is championship robust in the life of LeBron's contract. If you, If LeBron leaves the court for the last time as a Laker in a few years, whenever that is, without a Lakers title. Like, that is a failure. Not necessarily on LeBron's part, but a Lakers failure. That's just the way it goes. Now, having said that, basically every night this season, except for maybe against a handful of teams, the Lakers will trot out the two best players on the floor. Yes. Almost every night. Against what? 25, 26 of the 29 other teams. So... As dire as it may seem in terms of the way they gutted the roster and how few assets they have uh, in the draft and how insane the expectations are and rightfully are over the next few years, that is still the fact of the matter. They will have the two best players on the court, two legit MVP candidates, 26 out of 29 nights. Assuming they both stay healthy. Yeah, but again... And maybe that's, I mean, you know, why they want the insurance, obviously, of getting a third max guy rather than, say breaking up that space and, and allocating it to two or three different yeah. guys. And and the assuming they'll stay healthy thing, I I mean, it's July. Sorry, it's June right now. Mm-hmm. Going into any year, you can basically say that about any team. And I do get that LeBron's older and he's got now one major injury in his yeah. belt and Anthony Davis. No, you can the say first... that about any team, but not many teams only have five guys under contract no, I understand this that, time yeah. of year. I, and But really, like outside of the Warriors, for example, and even them, it ended up, costing them outside of like the Warriors collection of talent the last few years I don't know if there's really ever been a championship contender that could lose a guy like LeBron or Anthony Davis and survive they might survive better as like still a playoff team but they wouldn't survive as a contender I'm not talking about one of them suffering like a season-ending injury I'm just saying LeBron missed what 20 games last year you know Davis tends to miss about 15 games or so every season so let's say cumulatively they miss 35 games. Like, what is their record in that 35 games? one and of like, those guys, probably 500, maybe worse. Yeah. And so that's, 
I mean, I don't think that is going to be the difference between them making or missing the playoffs necessarily, but it might be the difference between them like opening the playoffs at home versus opening on the road. You know, it might be the difference between having a favorable or an unfavorable matchup in the first round. Like that's sort of the tricky territory that you get into when you're this thin and top heavy. You're really banking on health for those guys and you know, you need them to to suit up for like seventy plus games, I think. I mean, depending. Again, we, we don't know what this roster is gonna look like. We don't just, we also don't know what the rest of the West will look like. True. And I wonder about that actually. I wonder if they get this aggressive and they give up this much to get this trade done, if that Durant and Clay Thompson, th- those injuries don't happen. If the Warriors aren't in the situation that they're in, where suddenly they're not looking like the favorite in the West next year, and you know the conference is there for the taking. Oh, the league is there for the taking. Like if look, if Kawhi Leonard resigns in Toronto, I think the Raptors go into next season as the favorites to repeat. Yeah, maybe so. If Kawhi Leonard leaves the Raptors, whether it's the Clippers, I mean, I think it would only be the Clippers if he leaves, but wherever he goes, I think the league becomes wide open. I mean, it's pretty much wide open anyway, because even if the Raptors are favorites, they're not some indestructible force. Right. Right. So if you're the Lakers, you see KD go down, then Clay go down, you know the Warriors aren't going to be there next year. The NBA might be as wide open in 2019, 2020 as it's ever been in my lifetime, certainly. And you've got... Two top five, at worst, what? Two top eight, top ten players? Like, even without depth, in a league as wide open as it's looking next year, that gives you a shot to win the title. And I don't think you could have said that about a team with LeBron and AD and no depth in the world of the Warriors. Yeah. Um, No, I I think those are good points. I just, um, I guess I just wonder what their next moves are and what... I mean, I'll put it to you. What do you think their approach should be? Like, do you think they should go after that max guy, or do you think they should try and break up that space and bring in like three quality role players that are going to give them a little bit more insurance and a little bit more depth? And because, okay, so let's say it's Kemba, right? Let's I mean, say it's Kyrie. You got to do it, man. Yeah, it's like you have to. So I think either of those guys would be really good fits because they can both play on or off the ball which I think is going to be a really important consideration. Um, given that LeBron is sort of necessarily ball dominant and given the fact that, you know, if he is playing off of the ball, it's a lot of the time he's just chilling, right? So you need somebody who's able to create in isolation. Both those guys are really good at doing that. Two of the best ball handlers in the league, two of the best pull-up jump shooters in the league. Um, but again, both guys who carry a lot of off-ball gravity, and really good spot-up shooters, um, both guys who can play make. And if, if you're in a situation where you have those three guys, you can basically have two of them on the floor at all times. Yeah. So I get that. Um, but I also get why, you know, maybe breaking that, that cap space up and, and bringing in a couple, of, like, a couple of guys who can fill like three and D type of roles might be more appealing. I still think you can find those guys. If you've got a team of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Kemba Walker, it might not be your first choice of 3 and D guys or like solid vets, but you'll find them. Mm-hmm. They will come to you. And I think, too, a lot of people forget because of maybe the way like Shane Battier stepped up or Ray, they eventually got Ray Allen. Like People forget how thin 
the big three era Heat were, at least in those first couple of years. Like right. the first year, you I know get they, those ring chasers who will want to exactly. Hang on. I know the first year they didn't end up winning it, and we're talking about the Lakers having championship plus aspirations, but still, like that first year that the big three Heat were together. Go back and look at that roster. It was really bad outside of those three. Like throughout their run, they wrote. Like they relied on heavy minutes for guys like Mario Chalmers and Norris Cole. Like if if the Lakers have a chance to get a star guard like Kemba or Kyrie, I I just think you have to do it. I think those guys are good enough to be worth more, especially come April, May, and June, than two Danny Greens, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the only counter argument I guess I would make is there the law of diminishing returns does apply. You know when you add a third say ball dominant star to I wouldn't like I mean Davis isn't ball dominant that and that's I think why yeah this would work Mm -hmm. and I do think you know as good as Davis is he is still in a lot of ways a dependent player offensively like he is not he's not ever going to be well maybe not ever but like right now he is not a guy you can count on to be a primary initiator he doesn't really have the ball handling chops like he can face up and he can dust other big guys off the dribble. He's got that super quick step and he can shoot over guys. Like there's a lot of stuff that he can do if you just sort of give him the ball and ask him to go make a play. But ultimately I think you want him to be, you know, a dive man first and foremost. You want him to be a play finisher rather than a play initiator. So I think the more creation and ball handling that you can have on the team, the better. Um, Yeah. If you, and if you say, do get a Kemba or a Kai, even just say, let's, let's say Kemba you can stagger LeBron and Kemba or Kyrie, whoever it is, minutes, so that you're basically guaranteeing Anthony for Anthony Davis' 34, 35 minutes, he's always out there with one of LeBron James or an all-star guard. Like, that's, as you were just mentioning, he is still dependent on um, playmakers around him. And yeah, he had Drew Holiday in New Orleans, and he's had some good teams, but he's never had two guys like that. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, I just... Um... I wonder about defense. Like, that, I guess, would be my prime concern right now. As good as Davis is at that end, as much as he can kind of paper over some mistakes uh, just by being there on the back line to, to, you know, wipe stuff away at the rim, uh, be a massive deterrent, be a guy who can switch across multiple positions. Like, there's a lot that he can do to make up for deficiencies elsewhere. But, again, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about how defensively porous they might be on the wing because Kuzma is not a great defender. Uh, LeBron, at this point in his career, is not a great defender. And if you bring in a guy like Kyrie or Kemba, I mean, those guys are going to struggle as well at the point of attack. You, I think you're leaving yourself pretty vulnerable. And I wonder if it might not be more beneficial to have, say, a guy like Patrick Beverly, who can spot up off the ball and, and shoot adequately, but also is going to be an absolute bulldog, um, you know, and, and preventing penetration and may, maybe just like making things a little bit easier on Anthony Davis on the back line, as opposed to, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I, I have to like look at like the full list of free agents and figure out what they could actually do with close to 30 million in space and how they might be able to allocate it. But it just seems like it could be really tough for them to fill out the roster around those three max guys. It will be. It will be for sure. One thing we've kind of touched on it, but just the the pick and roll partnership of LeBron James and Anthony Davis is going to be unstoppable. It's going to be the most devastating offensive force in basketball. Yeah, I would not bet against the Lakers having the best offense in basketball next season. I think that's a legitimate 
possibility, maybe even a probability at this point. So, I mean, if any team can justify giving up that haul for, for one year of one player, I think the situation is, is that, you know, like I think the Lakers can justify it and saying like we're pairing two generational talents together, assuming that they can re-sign Davis for five years after this year, then they have an absolute superstar for the remainder of his prime. Even if LeBron ages out in the next couple of years, you know, they still have a guy, a foundational building block. And even if they can't compliment him with talent in the draft, they're always going to be able, I think, to find talent to pair with him because people are going to want to play with him, you know, in a market and a glamour franchise like the Lakers. And again, if they can, uh, Kemba's what, 29? And, and Kyrie is 27? Yeah, Kyrie's so, two years younger. You know, if they're aiming to bring somebody in who is on a similar timeline, um, you know, no matter what happens with LeBron in the next few years, they're going to conceivably have two star players who are still more or less in their primes for the next four or five years. I know, like, the news cycle moves quick and a lot of people forget, but if Kyrie were to go there, that is a really weird ego check. I don't know if you want to call it. Like, he... Forced his way out of Cleveland because he wanted his own team and to emerge from LeBron James's shadow. And now he's going to go to LA and be third banana behind LeBron again and Anthony Davis. Like, from a basketball perspective, it makes sense. Do what you got to do. Get your money and, and put yourself in the best position to win. I just, I don't know, like, it, it, would, it just seems weird. We're not talking about, like, oh, like, six years ago this guy wanted his own team. This was, like, a year and a half ago. Two years ago. Right. Well, I mean, maybe sometimes you just, like, have to figure out what you don't want to do, you know, like you got to, I guess, have those experiences and, and decide what it is you're actually looking for. And I don't know if playing with LeBron and Anthony Davis is what Kyrie ultimately is looking for. I don't know if he knows. I still think he goes to Brooklyn. That seems to be like, there's a lot of indication that that is where he's going to go. Um, I guess we'll see, but there's also a report saying that he and Davis have wanted to play together for years. And whether LeBron being in the picture complicates that or not, I don't know. But again, if the Lakers can manage to crack open that max level space, that's got to be pretty appealing. And, I, I, you know, we haven't really talked about Kemba, but he has made it pretty plain that he wants to resign in Charlotte, that he feels very comfortable and at home there. He's even on record saying that he would be willing to take less than the Supermax. I don't buy stay. it. I mean, you don't have to buy it. I think also... The, the Hornets won't have, like, much in the way of cap space either way, I thought. Well, but they don't need cap space to give Kemba... No, 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 I don't mean back. to give Kemba. The whole thing of Kemba saying he would take less, mm -hmm. what I'm saying is Kemba taking less wouldn't actually mean much for them because I'm pretty sure they're capped out anyway. Well, it wouldn't mean much for them maybe, like, this coming off right. season, but if you look... Yeah. I mean, they have a bunch of contracts coming off the books next year. Kemba Walker knows that no one's going to Charlotte either way. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, you never know. And, and I don't think, everybody's wired differently. And I don't think you can just assume that every player in the league wants to go to like the best basketball situation. I think there are a lot of things that guys probably prioritize. Comfort being one of them and, you know, feeling at home and, you know, keeping your family happy. Like these are all considerations. And we don't know what the determining factor for Kemba is going to be. I will say... If he takes a meeting with the Lakers and they're sitting him down and being like, look, like, 
this is what we see. Like you are going to play with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. We're gonna like win a championship here. Live in LA. And you're gonna live in LA and eventually, you know, LeBron is gonna age out and this is gonna be yours and AD's team. And then he's looking at what his options are in Charlotte. It's tough. Like they, they they got a tough sell, I think. But again, they also have sort of home court advantage here in that he knows that organization well. He knows that city well. They love him there. He, you know, by all indications, loves the city. So it just depends, I guess, what what is going to be important to him at the end of the day. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also encourage you to check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone tackles, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, please download The Score app, which is available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. On the other side of this deal, we've already talked about, you know, how much value the Pelicans extracted for a star and expiring deal. The Pelicans now have a very exciting future. They do not have a player as good as Anthony Davis, sure, but they weren't going to have a player as good as Anthony Davis beyond next year anyway. And they've got Zion Williamson coming in. They've got Alonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, I still think are flawed young prospects, but most young prospects are, and there are reasons to like their game. Lonzo is a great playmaker and a solid defender at the point of attack. Ingram has shown flashes, and I know flashes aren't everything, but he has shown flashes of being um, not a number one scorer, but maybe like the number two or number three scorer on a good team. And I think Josh Hart can just be a solid three and D, get like role player going forward. And then they've got this trove of picks to use, beginning with the number four pick this year, which they can maybe turn into something immediately that like, makes them a playoff team in the West if Zion's as good as some people believe he will be. Like, the Pelicans, with the way that the relationship between Anthony Davis and the Pelicans uh, disintegrated this year and the way that they lost them usually would cripple a franchise for years. And instead, the Pelicans are going to go potentially from the devastation of that to being like a potential playoff team right away with a very high ceiling going forward. Yeah, things worked out pretty well for them, didn't they? For friend I mean, of the show, David Griffin. Yeah. Um, I mean, he arrives there. They get the number one pick. Uh, this Lakers deal, I won't say this Lakers deal fell into their laps. Obviously, that takes a lot of shrewd negotiation on David Griffin's part. But he, he happened to stumble into a situation with an extremely desperate team when basically he had all the leverage. And that... That rarely is the case when you have a superstar free agent a year from unrestricted free agency, right? Like, I, I don't know. It, it just it worked out for them as well as it possibly could have. And, and I think knowing that they basically had Zion in their pocket allowed them to, I think, you know, hold the line, right? Like, they didn't have to be desperate because they know or they can reasonably assume that they have a generational talent who's going to be coming aboard in the next couple of weeks. And um, and they have so many options now, right? Like, obviously, there's one option, which is just to go full rebuild, which would involve, I think, flipping Drew Holiday, who I think would probably have a lot of value on the market, uh, given that he had... I mean, he didn't make All-NBA, but he definitely had an All-NBA case. Uh, I believe he made All-Defense, second-team All-Defense. So, 
I mean, and I mean, he's just like has a super high Q rating. I think you know, like I think is it like a good teammate. Handled that situation in New Orleans extremely professionally after that gong show went down with AD midseason. Has proven himself, I think, as like a good leader, a good playoff performer, and somebody that any competitive team, I think, would be thrilled to have. So that's one option. They can go that route. But let's say Zion pops right away. Let's say he has a LeBron-like trajectory where he's an all-NBA player in year two. Suddenly... I mean, they can accelerate that timeline. They can keep Holiday there, and they have a trove of assets to deal from if they want to add another star to that mix. What if they turn the number four pick in this year's draft into someone like Beal? I know that might still be a long shot, but it is something that's been reported by credible reporters as a possibility. Mm -hmm. And even this year, Zion's not going to be an all-NBA rookie. Like That would be absurd, but he's a slightly below all-star level player, clear-cut rookie of the year, and he's on a team with, say, Drew Holiday and Bradley Beal, and the Pelicans still have enough left over from the Lakers trade to dangle in the future. Like, that's a team that, you know, I'm not saying they're going to get to the finals, I'm going to be wrong, but in a wide-open West, that's a very intriguing team, again, with a future ceiling that a lot of the other contenders in the West don't have. Like, the Pelicans could be good very quickly. Not just exciting, but good. They just have so many avenues to get there. And I think they'll, they'll probably try and learn from the mistakes of the past Pelicans regime, which, I mean, there are a lot of things you could point to for where they went wrong, but I think the sort of broad strokes uh, look at that was that they, they just sort of went a little bit too quickly in trying to surround Anthony Davis with win-now talent. And I think the talent that they tried to surround him with wasn't, the right talent also. Like there were a lot of different kind of mistakes they made and this Pelicans team can go any number of different ways. I mean, they can accelerate their timeline and still not screw it up as badly as like the last regime did. It can still end up working out pretty well for them. I I think they'll probably want to see what they have in Lonzo and Ingram, but there's risk there too because Ingram is, you know, going to be eligible for an extension and there's a lot of uncertainty there. You know, he hasn't proven a whole awful lot at the NBA level just yet. He has this blood clotting issue, which, again, if it turns into a recurrent thing, could really threaten his career. Um, so I don't know. I, you know, how comfortable are they going to be paying him uh, his next contract, not knowing, you know, what he's going to look like as a player or what his health status is going to be? Lonzo, again, I mean, he hasn't played a full NBA season. Like you said, there are a lot of holes in his game. I wonder, like, do those guys just have more value on the trade market now? And would it be wise to sort of cash in on them sooner than later? Do you want to hear Lonzo Ball's career shooting splits? Yes. <laughs> 38, 32, 44. Yeah, that's rough. 44% from the free throw line for a point guard. Rondo-esque. And under 40% from the field. He's also missed 65 games in two seasons. And even Ingram, you mentioned, like, first of all, the blood clot is super concerning. Mm-hmm. Second of all, this is a guy, and I still do not understand this. I, I think you've probably heard this too. You know, Brandon Ingram got Kevin Durant comparisons early in his career. From Kevin Durant himself. That was asinine. Kevin Durant, in his third season, won a scoring title averaging 30 points per game. Brandon Ingram, through three seasons, has yet to average 20 points per game or have a good three-point shooting season. Like Those comparisons never made sense. Brandon Ingram isn't half of what Kevin Durant is. Or was at that point of his career. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's still extremely young. I'll just say that. Um, 
so Kevin Durant comparisons are not, which I agree. Like there's, there's a, a silly comparison to make. I think the comparisons were sort of founded on their body type, like their size, their length, them being extremely skinny and lanky. Yeah. But None also, of which it contains the word skill. Okay. But I mean, I think what, what that was referring to was the fact that like, you know, Brandon Ingram is what? 6'11", 6'10", and has a lot of ball skills for a guy that size. Uh, much like Durant does. Now, does he have the shooting ability? Clearly not yet. Um, is he the same kind of ball handler or playmaker? I don't think so yet. But he's flashed enough of that ability that I think you can project. The, the fuzzy outline of a star is there. A guy that height who can conceivably defend multiple positions, who can play on or off the ball. Now, playing off the ball hasn't been particularly fruitful for him so far, but... Um, Again, it's like, what is he going to be as a shooter? He shot 39%, I think, in his second year, but it was on a very low volume of attempts, and that three-point percentage came down a lot last year. So, again, just a lot of uncertainty with both of those guys. And, yeah, it looks nice now having that foundation where you can say, you know, even if one of these guys doesn't pan out, you give yourself just like a couple of cracks at it where if one of those two guys does pop, then you're in really good shape. You know, then you have like a really good running mate for Zion, who I think you expect to be your franchise guy for the next at least seven years. Yeah. Um, I think in general, the Pelicans win as much as you can when you lose a superstar like Anthony Davis. Yes. I think the Lakers, health concerns aside, win because they landed a star like Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis wins because he gets to go where he wanted to go. LeBron James wins because... They have potentially salvaged his prime. Right. He gets Anthony Davis. He doesn't have to care what happens exactly. to the Lakers in 2025. Exactly. So everybody wins in this deal, but there is a loser, and it's the Boston Celtics, despite having nothing to do with this deal. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're a loser because they didn't trade for Anthony Davis. In fact, I think now it actually finally made sense for the Celtics to not go all in and give up a player like Jason Tatum for Agreed. Anthony Davis because they're probably losing Kyrie Irving, and they know it. Anthony Davis is flight risk doesn't even begin to describe um, his level of commitment to Boston. It would be zilch. He would be gone. So it did make sense right now for them not to give up a player like Tatum for a one-year rental of Anthony Davis because it's not like a one-year rental of Kawhi on a team that was already pretty good and you're thinking, all right, like that, that is a contender and they ended up winning a championship. Anthony Davis as the best player on a Kyrie-less Celtics team without the young guys they would have had to give up to get Anthony Davis is not winning you a title or coming close. Right. So it made sense. However, the reason the Boston Celtics are losers is because they had this once-in-a-generation collection of talent plus assets that not necessarily myself, but a lot of people thought was going to have them ruling the East for years to come and landing superstar after superstar because they were going to turn these young guys and assets and picks and into these guys. And Danny Ainge, while he made very good moves, obviously, in the last few years, also sat on his hands far too often, overvalued Boston's own young talent, didn't go all in to get a guy like Paul George, didn't go all in to get a guy like Kawhi Leonard, couldn't go all in to get Anthony Davis in the middle of the season because of the rule that prohibited him and Kyrie from being on the same team at that time. So I don't think the Celtics are losers for not trading for Anthony Davis right now. But the reason I think the Celtics are losers and why this whole thing has become a failure is because they went from what seemed like a can't-miss situation to a situation where turning Tatum into Davis no longer made sense. And if you go from 
point A to point B like that, that is a colossal failure. Yeah, I mean, I struggle with this, okay, because the Hayward injury just scuttled so many of their plans. Absolutely. And who knows what this looks like if that doesn't happen. Like, if he is the same guy that he was in his last year in Utah, both last year and this season with the Celtics, this whole thing could look completely different. I mean, maybe they're playing in the finals last year, and maybe Kyrie isn't thinking about leaving because the team actually coalesced and looked like the team it was supposed to be because that guy is like a top 25 player, right? A guy who can, again, create with the ball in his hands, is a really good passer, an excellent shooter, a solid defender. Like, he, you know, he would have been a perfect complement to Kyrie and Horford, and instead he ended up being like a glorified sixth man. Even, you know, maybe not even glorified. Like he was just he was just a sixth man who was basically average in that role. He wasn't anything special at all. And again, like even if Kyrie were to leave, if Hayward was that guy, it might have made sense to trade for Anthony Davis because a team with a prime Gordon Hayward and a prime Anthony Davis and a late prime Al Horford still has a pretty good chance of winning the Eastern Conference. Like, there are a lot of things, I think, that, you know, like, they, it's like they say, best laid plans, right? Like, they could not have predicted any of this happening, and maybe you always just have to bake some of that uncertainty into your planning, but I don't think that the process, how they went about this, was necessarily backwards or wrong. I think maybe getting ahead of ourselves and projecting that they were going to rule the East for 10 years was the failure, Right, like not recognizing how many things could go wrong and not recognizing that, you know, just having assets and having picks is not any kind of guarantee of success. To say that they weren't in a great position to do so, I think, is just, you know, using hindsight and not necessarily insight. But I will say this I think not going all in for Paul George before the Gordon Hayward injury had happened, sure, makes sense. They had a chance, reportedly, to get Jimmy Butler after. Gordon Hayward's injury. They had a chance to get Kawhi Leonard after Gordon Hayward's injury. It's not like all of these opportunities happened before they realized Gordon Hayward was probably not going to be the same player. Like they had opportunities after that as well and still sat on their hands because they overvalued their own in like young talent. And quite frankly, Danny Ainge didn't have the stones to make the all-in move. But do you think they're in better position right now with like, having Jimmy Butler also going into unrestricted free agency or Kawhi going into unrestricted free agency? Like maybe... No, no, but maybe they're not in a better position. Maybe they win a title by now. Right. Like the Again, Raptors might like- not be in great position if Kawhi Leonard leaves. I mean, they're still in good, but guess what? They won a title. It almost doesn't matter. And I understand there's no guarantees and it's very easy to look at things in hindsight. And by and large, Danny Ainge is a good general manager who has made very good moves over the course of his career and has won a title as a G. Like, I'm not saying he's not a great executive, but in this regard, it he pushed this thing so far up the hill and then within eyesight of the finish line, sat on his hands and it just... Well, he didn't finish the job, is what I'm saying. No, that's that's clear. But the reality is, this is what they were keeping their powder dry for, for all those years. They were waiting for the chance to trade for Anthony Davis. And when it came time to do so, everything fell apart for them. And Kyrie is at the center of that. I mean, this sort of whole disastrous season is at the center of that, with their young guys stagnating, Kyrie just generally being weird. Um <laughs> 
and and Hayward being a shell of himself. I mean, all those factors combined to to scuttle their plans to make this trade that they've been waiting to make for so long. And if that didn't happen, like if any of those things didn't happen, if Hayward is the same guy, if Kyrie basically honors his preseason pledge and is willing to re-sign, if the season doesn't go sideways to the extent that it did, any of that stuff, you know, seemed extremely plausible at the start of the year, right? Like, if they are in the same position that, you know, we... Like, let's say they're in the position now that they were in at the start of last season, and they do pull the trigger on the Davis trade, waiting all that time, holding on to their assets for this moment, looks brilliant. And obviously, it didn't work out that way, so you're right. You can call it a failure, but I think it was not a failure of planning necessarily it was oh. just ultimately a failure of execution Circum- yeah circumstance and execution and i again like and i wrote about this day after davis got traded i did something on how everyone wins but the celtics and i, I agree that some of it was just circumstance and bad luck you know it wasn't all by their own doing but some of it was from their own hesitance to make the all-in move and regardless of whether it was completely their fault or only partially their fault or barely any of it was their own fault. Like I said, the fact of the matter is that regardless of how high you were on the Celtics, they went from what a lot of people thought was a can't-miss opportunity to a situation where turning Tatum into Davis no longer made sense. And whether that's their own fault or not, it's a failure either way and makes them losers. And you could say that hitching their wagon to Kyrie's star was also a mistake. I mean, in hindsight, it certainly looks that way, right? You kind of, uh, you know, attach your lot to a flighty star and he turns out to be flighty, like, maybe that's on you. Um, yeah, well said. So, yeah, I mean, I guess a, a, lot of, a lot of forks in the road where all this could have gone differently. Um, and I don't think they're in a bad spot now. Like, they're not in as good a spot as we might have expected them to be. But I, I still believe in Tatum, and I think maybe his development curve is just going to be, uh, you know, a little bit slower than we initially expected. But I still think that he has all-star potential, 100%. All-NBA potential, even. Like he, I think he's going to be a really, really good player. Is he going to be a franchise player that you can build around? TBD. But I don't think they're in a bad spot. Um, we'll see what happens with Terry Rozier. I mean, I don't know how much they really care about keeping him. He's a restricted free agent. Um, I think Jalen Brown still has the potential to be really good and actually quietly had a pretty strong second half of last season after a really tough start. And we'll see what Hayward looks like in you know year two after the injury. If if he is able to get back to being the guy that he was before, like I've been saying, this team can still absolutely compete in the East. There, it sounds like they're going to restructure Horford's contract. Compete and, on what level though? Like as like a potential conference finalist, you know? You think if Kawhi is not back in Toronto, I don't think they they're on the same stratosphere as Milwaukee or Philly. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Milwaukee is going to look like. Either. So much is up in the air for them. Actually, Woj is just reporting that uh, Al Horford is going to opt out of his contract. Um, but it sounds like the plan is for him to opt out and then get another three-year deal, I think, with like a lower annual average value, but that he makes up for with term. So we'll see. Uh, but if he's gone, then, I mean, that's a big loss, obviously, because... He's probably their second... I mean, not even probably. He's their second best player, 100%. Um, so to lose both of their best players in one offseason could set them back. And I think this is a setback for sure. I mean, losing Kyrie for nothing is a huge setback. 
not being able to make the Anthony Davis trade that they've been planning to make for years is a huge setback. But they have solid young players. They still have that Memphis pick, which I think is like a very valuable asset. Um, and, and they're going to have opportunities to get back to the level I think that we expected them to get to. Now, I don't think they're going to be the five to ten year juggernaut that some were predicting, but... In hindsight, that was probably always unrealistic. Like you can't really project that for any team. Like it just—it was almost as ludicrous. So much has to go right. Right. Expecting that the Celtics were going to dominate for five to ten years was almost as ludicrous as positing in a public forum that <laughs> Brad Stevens's value was equal to that of star players in the NBA, which many a Boston media folk did. Yes. Well. Whatever. We don't, we don't have to dredge up old takes. We've all had bad takes in the past. Oh, not that bad. I promise you. Listen, we have all had bad takes. I promise you on all that is holy that I have never had a take as bad as saying that a coach in the NBA was as valuable as superstars in the NBA. Okay, fair enough. Um, we've learned our lesson on that front. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I, I think ultimately the, the situation is, is suboptimal for Boston, but I think they they'll have opportunities to turn it around in the future. Um, but jumping back over to the West, do you, I, I know, again, there's so much to be determined this off season, but um, if you had to just pick right now, would you say that the Lakers are the favorites to come out of the West? Yes, because as much as there are question marks about their roster and how it's all going to like, right now, like you said, we're going on right now. And right now I know that they've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the same team in a conference where the Warriors will be a shell of themselves. Could someone else step up in free agency? Yes. Mm -hmm. But as of right now, June, whatever the hell today is, not July 1st, yes, the Lakers are the best team in the West. And relevant to all that, you know, something we haven't mentioned and we can just touch on very briefly before we sign off, but the Houston Rockets are... Seemingly in shambles right now. And, and that would seem to be the team that was prepared to take up that mantle, you know, when the Warriors inevitably fell off. But apparently there is a ton of internal turmoil there, you know, both between management and Mike D'Antoni, between Chris Paul and James Harden. Um, and just a great piece, uh, by the way, by Tim McMahon on ESPN about all the, the turmoil going on, roiling beneath the surface there. Um, we'll see if they can get all that sorted out and what they look like going into next season. Um, there are reports that Daryl Morey is aggressively shopping Clint Capella, probably shopping Chris Paul as well. So I don't know. I don't, I don't really know if those guys have a whole lot of trade value, honestly. I mean, it's weird to say that about Chris Paul, but his contract is prohibitive, and Clint Capella, uh, his value took a bit of a hit last season. So Can, can we get Tillman Fortita on the pod? Because <laughs> this guy is instant content, yeah. all right? He is an NBA media guy's dream. I don't think he's a Rockets fan's dream. Got to say, no. there are some red flags there, Rockets fans. But uh, from a content perspective, give me Tillman Fertitta. Yeah, the guy's a maverick, man. Uh, he's just coming in and sown chaos uh, into this new situation, and um, we'll see what happens. But again, like if they can figure it out, even if they don't make any moves, even if Capella and Chris Paul both are still there next season... I think the Rockets are right there, you know, maybe co-favorites with the Lakers to come out of the West. I do, but I also, man, again, you mentioned the great reporting from Tim McMahon there. If if the divide between Chris Paul and James Harden really is getting to the points, it seems like it was getting in that post. Like, I really don't know if they can coexist for the eight months required to win a championship. Talent-wise, I agree with you. They are right there. They, mm -hmm. they probably are the best team in the West if they keep the band together, but that is... 
that is a volatile situation. Yeah, certainly seems that way. Um, all right, you got anything else? I do not. Okay. Guess that's the Anthony Davis trade and all of its ripple effects. Um, surely just the beginning, though, of what promises to be a wild offseason. Um, so I can't wait to get back in the studio and, and talk about all that when this gets underway. The NBA draft, of course, is on Thursday. I was going to say, we'll probably try to jump in the studio on Friday. Definitely. Talk the um, draft. Even though uh, we, we haven't really done our research, um, but we have a lot of people at the score who have. And I assume we'll have one of them on to talk to us about the draft in the coming days. So um, until then, pound the rock. 